Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. My attitude to adventure has very much changed. So when I was young, I thought, where I live is boring. If I want adventure, I need to get out there, far out into the world, which is, I'm sure, something that loads of young adventurous people have felt, isn't it? Home is boring, adventure is far away, and the further away, the better. And I did a lot of that, and I loved it, and I'm very grateful for it. And I perhaps it perhaps I needed to go through all of that before I could start to think, hang on, I have no idea what is in the next town to where I live. Maybe if I'm an adventurous explorer, I should go have a look what's in my town next door rather than to Uzbekistan or somewhere like that. That is Alistair Humphreys, today's guest, talking about his latest adventure, which was exploring locally. He decided to, quote, swap dreaming of large adventures for spending an entire year roaming the local map I lived on, an area measuring just 20 kilometers across, end quote. Now, keep in mind, Alistair is a National Geographic Adventure of the Year. He has cycled around the world, spent four years doing that, raced a yacht across the Atlantic Ocean. He's canoed 500 miles down the Yukon River. He's walked the length of the Holy Kavari River in India, just to name a few. Would exploring a single map be enough? Would he be happy? What did he learn? What can we learn from his experience? You're going to find out today, and you might be surprised to discover the kind of impact a local adventure can have on an individual, and maybe even see travel in a new light. Welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Thanks for being here and being part of this community. And I invite you to get in touch anytime. Jason at ZeroToTravel.com is my email. I want to give a shout out to Evan who dropped me a note from this community recommending a guest. I always love reading those emails from listeners. So let's make this a two-way conversation. If you haven't gotten in touch, feel free to do so. And you can always sign up for the newsletter, zerototravel.com slash newsletter. It's free. Travel tips, advice, latest podcasts, random musings. You never know what you're going to get. Sign up over there to keep in touch again. That's free. Okay. 
Today's guest, Alistair Humphreys. AlistairHumphreys.com is his website. I have a ton of respect for this guy. I mean, he's been so true to his values for so many years. He's put out so much work to help inspire others to live an adventurous life, whatever that means to them. A lot of frameworks he's created and concepts that can allow you to do that. One is... Uh, he pioneered this concept called micro-adventures, which is really about finding adventures near your home, but he really takes it to another level with this concept of exploring a single map, one tiny little area at a time near your home. You're going to hear about his experience today, get some practical advice for having your own local adventure, how to slow down when you travel. There's so much more in this episode, a lot of lessons that came out of this exploration, and it's worth a listen. I'll tell you that. Uh, stick around on the back end. I will share what makes this concept so exciting and yeah, some final thoughts and a quote to wrap it all up. So please enjoy my conversation with Alistair Humphreys and I will see you on the other side, my friend. Cheers. Do you feel 30 now? What age do I feel? That's a good question. <laughs> Man, I don't know because, you know, you you start to recognize that you can't do things the way you could before. Your practical mind knows that you're older. So in that way, it might skew your age. But if I'm just like in the moment, like feeling enthused about something or playing with my kids or something, I could be 10 or I could be t- 25, you know, if I'm out doing an activity or something. I don't know. I think I feel, you? I think physically, I think I'm about 30 and also sort of mentally enthusiastic and, and curiosity, I feel about 30. Uh, but then I guess if I went to a bar and I saw a lot of 30 year olds, they'd be like, hey, granddad. And, I, and I'd be like, oh, it's a bit loud in here. I can't really hear and I can't see the menu. And it's a bit late now, so I'm going to go home to bed. So that's when I'd realize I'm not 30. Yeah, like I have these moments where I feel like, oh man, where are those old? Like I was talking to my wife last night. We were sitting on the couch and I, I had put my reading glasses on for something. And I'm like, look at us. Like we have two small kids. We're on the couch talking. I've got the, I'm like, we're like those people that we grown never ups. thought we'd be when we grown were ups. younger. We're grown yeah. ups. But you don't really grow, you don't have to grow up in a way. You have to have responsibility, but I don't know. It's a funny thing, aging, isn't it? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> Alistair Humphreys, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend, by the way. We should say this is the thing right now. It's happening. Okay, thank you. We've launched, launched straight in with a bit of aging chat. That's good. I like it. I think the, the preambles <laughs> when the truth comes out. So I think we need to, you need to publish all that. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, this is the thing. This is how we do it. I feel like this, this work keeps you young, though in a way, you know, constant new perspectives, constant curiosity. Yeah. And I think also it's the sorts of job that where you can't just think, right, I can now sit in this same rut and cruise along until I retire in 20 years. I think you can't have that mindset if you want to actually get anywhere. You never really did that, did you? What? Have a job? <laughs> Would they say would they call it a proper job? I don't know what they call it. I think you have a proper job, but I'm in I'm in a different circle. <laughs> yeah, my parents don't think I've got a proper job. Really? <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah, it's only a proper job if you're suffering every day and you know, you need to 
come home and watch TV to escape. I think to be fair to them, it's the challenge of this of the fast evolving world. So in my parents' mind, a proper job is a, a teacher, a baker, a doctor, something like that. Not some not someone who puts stuff on social media and talks to someone through his laptop and somehow weirdly that turns into work. They uh, struggle to see how that works, which I can understand. It's a quick moving world. You get to, you know, in the past, biking around the world, rowing across the Atlantic Ocean, getting paid to talk about it. It doesn't sound like the worst job in the world. It's Professional adventure in some ways. But I mean, I you've kind it. of transitioned. I, you know, I've been following your journey since I, mean, I, I don't remember. I should have looked up when we did our first interview here together. But I'm a big fan of your work and your writing. And I love what you put out, man. I love that you're just like the main mission you can tell is just really. Yeah, you have your things and you talk about them, but use you use that as a tool to inspire other people to get out and create awareness about things that that you think are important. And frankly, a lot of us should be talking about and thinking about some of the things we're going to talk about today. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, tr- I think the the um, transition from just doing adventure because it's brilliant fun for myself towards trying to encourage others to do it has been great for just adding a bit of purpose to what would otherwise be a fairly selfish, hedonistic pursuit. So yeah, it's nice to try and encourage other people to get out and chase a bit of nature. Yeah, it was interesting because uh, you have the book we're going to talk about today, Local, but then I know your last post on Instagram was you out in Sudan when you were biking around the world many years ago. And you said, quote, I marvel at the audacity of young me, envy his freedom and guts, but also feel a bit sad by his years alone out there in the big mad world. What a, what a bloody adventure that was. And we talked about this adventure on the show a while back, but I thought it might be cool to bring this up. And I, I you know, since you had just recently posted it and it's kind of, it's a good juxtaposition between that and where we're going to go today. But thinking back to you, looking at that picture of you on the bike in Sudan, when you biked around the world, and thinking about you now and where you are, you know, talk about how you've grown in terms of like your travel and life. I know it's a big question, but. Well, I think it, I mean, I set off to cycle around the world in 2001. So, and actually I set off to cycle in August, 2001. So I was two weeks into my bike ride planning to cycle to Australia via Afghanistan, which is beautiful and exciting. When two weeks into my ride, 9-11 happened in the US. And of course, that tore not just America apart, but the world apart for years. So that was like a really defining moment for history. And if you think about how much the world has changed since then, when that's when I I, so I set off cycling in a pre-9-11 world um, and then suddenly that changed and I set off, so I cycled around the world with no laptop, with no telephone, with no maps. So to get to cycle across a continent, I had one large sheet of paper with the road map on it and it's just struck, and that, I think that's what really struck me when I recently stumbled across this picture of me in the desert in Sudan was right now I would not dare I don't go to the shops without my cell phone in my pocket. And I put Google Maps on to try and get somewhere I've gone to 50 times before. The the thought of cycling across Africa with just a paper map just blows my mind. So that was why I was like, well played, young me. That was brave. I don't think I'd be able to do that anymore. So maybe I'm just getting old and soft. But yeah, the, the world of travel has changed spectacularly. I mean, you 
must have noticed that in your very long running podcast, just the the different aspects of traveling the world. It's changed a lot, hasn't it? Yeah. You know, thinking back to your, let's call them like out of your home country adventures, let's say, did you ever think you would be where you are now, where you're, you're, you're kind of thriving on these local adventures that we're going to talk about today? <laughs> I Could think you have imagined that? I think if you asked the young me cycling bravely through Sudan about his opinion of someone who is now pontificating on a popular travel website and writing a book about just exploring 10 miles of suburbia, I'd have looked down my nose at that old man for being a boring wimp. So my attitude to adventure has very much changed. So when I was young, I thought, where I live is boring. If I want adventure, I need to get out there, far out into the world, which is, I'm sure, something that loads of young adventurous people have felt, isn't it? Home is boring, adventure is far away, and the further away, the better. And I did a lot of that, and I loved it, and I'm very grateful for it. And I perhaps it perhaps I needed to go through all of that before I could start to think, hang on, I have no idea what is in the next town to where I live. Maybe if I'm an adventurous explorer, I should go have a look what's in my town next door rather than to Uzbekistan or somewhere like that. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's universal with travelers, right? You're listening to the show. You feel like, yeah, you want to go and experience exotic places and meet interesting people from all over the world and understand those cultures. I mean, this always gets tricky, right? Because we talk about climate change and there's and there's all of these, you know, issues surrounding travel. Yet, you know, we're fortunate. I mean, we're older, so we've gotten to go and have these experiences. And I feel like in some ways, or you could say it could be interpreted that, well, would we have gotten to this point personally? I guess I'm including this not because I'm I'm definitely not an adventurer on your scale, but as far as like being a family guy, living in one place, having traveled around nomadically for 10 years and now just being in one place. And I know you've got kids and a family there and that's We'll, we'll talk about that. But is that a byproduct of having the, had the opportunity and the privilege to explore the world? And now you can be content with that. And, and if, you know, it's a complicated question. And, and also, is that fair to, you know, I'm thinking about somebody who's like 22 and listening to this and they haven't gotten to go do all that yet. But then now we have climate change and all these issues. You know, you see what I'm getting at? I see what you're getting at. Yeah, um, I think you asked about yeah. ten different questions within that, but I'll I'll pick. Yeah, I know I'll it's a terrible that, podcast move. That's all right. Uh, we'll we'll put up with you <laughs> thanks to my brilliant answer, which I'm about to make up now. <laughs> uh, there's this there's a word I think it's from Sweden, and it's something like fligskam or something, but it translates to flight shame, which is this notion of shaming people about going on flights and. I don't think that's very helpful. So I've flown to loads of places around the world. I mean, I have also cycled around the planet using only bicycle and boat. So I got four years of pretty low carbon travel involved there. Um, but I, but an interesting thing about that is that when I cycled around the world, not once did I ever think this is a great environmental ad adventure. I'm being really low carbon by cycling around the world. Not once did I think that, and that was 20 years ago. So our approach and our attitude towards travel has changed so much since then. Um, I've flown all over the place and I loved it. It's great. And I really still love, to, in theory, to fly to places. 
Um, so my thought towards young people is you don't want to put people off having the adventure of a lifetime. But I think what is important is to consider the value of a flight you take. So, for example, I would probably frown at flying all the way to Vegas for a weekend extravaganza. That, to me, seems like a dumb use of carbon. But for that same amount of carbon and flight, if you fly to, I don't know, Canada, Mexico, wherever you have, I don't know, you fly somewhere a long way, and then you stay there a long time, and you have a fantastic life-enhancing adventure, which makes you a a more rounded, more informed, more passionate citizen of the world. And then you come home and you act on that purposeful adventure to live a decent life that's doing good for the world. Then, yeah, that's a great use of getting on an aeroplane. So I think there's that aspect to it. But I think a really important thing to consider is, is it possible that traveling without plane you're not, is it that you're not missing out? It's not a worse experience. It's different. Could it even perhaps be better? So I don't um, fly to give talks anymore. Uh, so if I have to go to, let's say, I went to Amsterdam a while ago and I went on the train and that was so much more interesting than a grim aeroplane experience. So that added to the experience. And then recently I've spent a year exploring my local map and Yep, I didn't get to fly off to fun parts of the world, but I had such an interesting adventurous travel experience. So I think the way to frame it is to think these things aren't necessarily worse. They're just different. Okay, so let's talk about Local, the book, Local, A Search for Nearby Nature and Wildness. And I, I just wanted people to understand, you know, briefly how much exploring you've done around the world and how different this is from, in some ways... But I guess similar in, in some ways in terms of the mindset, it seems like reading through the book, this is when you decided to swap. I'm quoting the book here. I decided to swap dreaming of large adventures for spending an entire year roaming the local map I lived on, on an area measuring just 20 kilometers across. And you're based in the UK. And this is uh, <laughs> this is different. I think this is ironic because what you say in the beginning of the book is that you've done more research for this book than all of the other books combined, but you didn't. You didn't go very far. So is I mean, that's pretty incredible when you think about it from that perspective. Yeah, it's it's a very, very different experience. So I spent four years cycling around the planet. Um, I didn't do very much research for that deliberately because I wanted to be naive and learning stuff when I was out on the road. So when I was traveling around the world, I would never read about a country before I got there. I liked to arrive with a completely blank slate and just take in all those experiences. And then once I was there and afterwards, I'd really enjoy reading about the place that I'd been to and learning about it. Um, whereas this trip, this experience uh, turned me into a bit of a nerdy internet bookworm, just reading so much about all sorts of random stuff and finding that absolutely fascinating. And perhaps that's just indicative of me being a young guy versus now being a middle-aged guy that I'm just like, oh, that's interesting. I'll go and read some websites about this thing. So um, yeah, it's been a very different way of experiencing it. But I, I do feel that having traveled to a lot of countries and a lot of places, that really helped me compare the similarities and the differences of just looking at 10 miles in suburbia 
just outside London where it was mostly raining. Uh, so, so I think having those the uh, different experiences was really beneficial. You know, I've always admired those authors who seem to be master botanists and biologists and they could effortlessly weave the descriptions of nature into their narrative. Now that's you. I mean, you could do it before, but it seems like you've learned quite a lot just traveling around. And I mean, that's what's that's what strikes me is how much I'm, well, it must have helped to have the book as part of the mission, right? Because you also have to figure out something to write about. I mean, did that do you think that contributed to your your attention span? I don't want to say that, but like your willingness to sort of really take your time and pay attention to what was around you. So I think it would I think it would help to explain the the framework I set myself for the project. So I I bought the lo- the local map of where I live. It's the kind of map you'd get if you're going to go hiking uh, in, in your neighbourhood. And in Britain, the whole country is covered by these maps that this have covered. They're like for hiking, walking, exploring sort of maps. So I bought the one where I live, and it measures twenty kilometres by twenty kilometres. That's about twelve miles, and it, the whole map is broken up into one kilometre grid squares. Um, and so I challenged myself to go out once a week to one grid square and t- to try to see everything in it. So once a week, I'd go to a random place on my map and I had just one kilometer by one kilometer to explore. And I tried to see, to walk down every footpath there, or if it was in a town, down through every street. If it was a wood, I'd try and wander around the wood. And because it's only one kilometre, it's not very far. So it made me slow down. And that's a lot of my travel has been about how quickly can I go from here to there in a sort of tough, crazy kind of way. And so this was a real exercise in deliberately forcing myself to slow down. And I'm not by nature a very slow person. So I helped myself slow down in two ways. I decided to take a lot of photographs. So I, I took my camera and I ca- I tried to really take interesting photos of everything I saw, even if that was just like a, a burned out car that some <laughs> hoodlums had left the night before. I tried to take beautiful photos of whatever I saw. And to try and see everything in that grid square, I took a load of notes so that when I came home, I could write a blog post about what I'd seen that week. And I think this was really important because if I just said, I'm going to spend a year exploring my local map, that would have been too vague and wishy-washy and I'd have probably not done it very thoroughly. But by forcing these constraints onto my project, but then repeating that 52 times, you end up with something that's quite big and substantial. I always think that putting constraints onto your travel or adventures or creative things is a really good way of making you look a bit differently and put a bit more effort into the way you look and consider it what you're doing so yeah so I I every week I'd go out and I'd try and see everything and then of course most of what I saw I didn't know or understand so then I'd come home and spend hours googling all these things that I'd seen and learnt about and then write them up into a blog once a week which became the framework to the book we'll get back to the interview in just a moment this episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank Recently, I went out for tacos, and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. 
Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries. Two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude go to learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. Yeah, you mentioned coming home and, and having to do all this research and kind of figure them out and people might be thinking, well, what, I mean, how many different things could you have seen in this? You know, you must have, seen these things before and all that. And, and I want to, I want you to share some of that, like some of the stories behind what you saw, maybe some of the unexpected adventures or things that were surprises to you, even, even though they were maybe things in the past you might've just walked past. Okay. So a bunch of years ago, I wrote a book called micro adventures, which was after I'd been traveling around the world, having a brilliant time, I realized that I wanted to try and encourage normal people with busy real life to try and fit adventures in, say, around the weekend. So I wrote a book called Micro Adventures, which is all about ideas to go hiking, biking, camping, swimming, close to where you live, simple, affordable sort of stuff. When I started exploring this map this year, I thought I was probably going to write Micro Adventures 2, like here are more ideas to go running and biking and hiking where you live. But it didn't turn out like that at all because... I challenged myself to try and see everything, to try and really learn about where I lived. That meant that I started to pay attention to nature more than I'd ever done in my life before. And one of the most useful things was an app on my phone called Seek, Seek by iNaturalist. It's one of those really clever apps where you point it at a flower or an insect and it tells you the name of it. And, um, I started doing this to all these plants that are all over um, Britain, plants which I've seen my entire life and just ignored, and I didn't even know their names. And starting to learn the names of these things, once you know the name of something, 
you notice it more often. And once you know the name of it, you can start to then be interested in it and start perhaps then to care for it. So I'd come home and I'd Google these plants and I'd learn that there were hundreds of years of folk history and hundreds of local regional names for this funny little plant. And it used to be used for X, Y, and Z. And um, so that was an example of uh, what I would do that would start to get me interested in diving deeper and deeper and deeper. And the more that I became interested in the nature on my map, the more I started to realize how little nature there is left in Britain, how we've pretty much destroyed everything. And that then got me really interested in why, where's all our nature gone and what can we do about it? And so rather than it turning into an adventure book, it turned much more into a book about nature and the problems we've got and the hopeful possible solutions we might have for it. So it was a a very different sort of book to what I imagined when I started. But I think that's the good thing about going out to explore locally. If, If you try it, you don't know what things would interest you until you really pay attention. And you'll find some little niche that excites and interests you and maybe start to then tell other people about that part of it. Um, But yeah, you don't know until you go out and pay attention. We mentioned nature, of course, being a big theme in this book. And I mean, I'll read a quote from the book. You said, why do we care so little about nature and its tragic decline? Is it because we have stopped noticing it? It is not that we have a short time to live, but that we waste a lot of it. It is not that the world is too small, but that we miss so much of it. What were some of the big lessons you learned from researching this book and and just taking your time to be closer to nature, closer to your home? (laughs) Okay, so so this is where I now get in danger of going off on a massive three-hour rant. So get ready to hit the mute button when you're bored of me ranting, because this is this has awakened. Um, well, it amazes me how little I knew about any of this before I started, which has been quite interesting. You know, I've been to loads of beautiful parts of the world, but didn't really give much thought to them. So what I've what the, the things that have struck me one how much nature we have lost in Britain within my lifetime. I mean, insane percentages of wild creatures have disappeared within my lifetime. Um, we have almost no trees in Britain, some of the, 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 the least tree cover in the entire world. And I started to learn, you know, but all my life I've thought, oh, England's green and pretty. It's lovely. It's beautiful. We've got lots of farms. It's pretty. And what I hadn't given any thought to was Britain didn't always look like this. When my grandparents were around, it was different. 200 years ago, it was different. But I'd come to accept that what I see outside the window is, this is normal, this is nature, but it's not. It's just what it is right now. And it's a far depleted version of what it used to be. And the way that we use our land on our local maps became fascinating to me. I started to get really amazed by how much of our land we use for farming and how much of how much of that land goes to certain parts of agriculture and diet and the massive, massive implications of that on emissions, on nature, on river pollution. Um, so, yeah, learning what we use our land for and how that has changed. That's probably the single biggest thing that really got into me this year. Um, has that changed anything about your daily life or or the work you're planning on doing? Um, I'm, I'm very conscious this is a travel uh, podcast. Um, so um, 
but I guess my brief it's okay. answer... okay. We talk about everything here, man. You know, this all ties into life, you know? I mean, how could okay. it not? <laughs> okay, so my, my brief answer would be that it alarmed me so much that I feel now really duty-bound to be much more active in talking about nature loss, uh, the climate emergency, the pollution of our rivers, and just to use one specific example, learning that 75% of the UK is farmland and that 80% of that farmland is used for meat and dairy um, farming and the incredible impact on uh, river pollution and emissions, not to mention all the trees that have been cut down to make that amount of farmland uh, had a significant impact on my dietary choices. And um, yeah, I've, so I've got really passionate about land use, diet, river pollution, and uh, the legality of access to nature. In Britain, there's a, a sort of campaign called the Right to Roam, trying to make it be more land be open for more people to roam around and embrace nature. And I feel that all of these issues are intrinsically linked together by us being disconnected from the land, not spending much time exploring our local land. We then don't notice what's happening to the land. We don't notice its decline. And because we don't notice that, we don't care about it. And therefore, we don't do anything to change that. End of rant. So are you a vegetarian now? Or <laughs> um, So I, when I was a kid, I used to think, I don't really want to be, well, I definitely don't want to be a vegetarian because I love meat. But I can kind of understand why someone would be a vegetarian. I can get that. But vegans, they are weirdos. Um, that was my that was my theory throughout my entire life until I started to learn all this stuff about land and I just thought I can't eat meat or dairy at all now so I'm now full on hardcore vegan and I'm uh, quite happy to bore anyone for hours on end like all good vegans <laughs> since we're on the topic maybe somebody's listening yeah get, educate us a little bit how how it's been was the transition you know, this is, this is as far as everybody's own eating habits and everything. It's uh, my thought is like kind of to each their own in, in a way because people, humans are so different. So it seems like certain people need certain different types of things for their bodies. And if they're tuned in, they can know what that is. I don't know. This isn't, again, this is a travel podcast. I'm not a nutritionist. Yeah. I'm just curious for anybody looking to, ex let's say, experiment even with that um, transition. What would be your best advice? Okay, so the first thing is I completely agree that diet is your own choice, but I really believe it's beyond a personal choice. It's a moral responsibility to society and to future generations that anything you choose to eat, you should consider the impact of that on the planet and on nature. And I think once you're educated on that, you can then make your own choices. But I really think to not do that is pretty bad form, I would say. Once you've educated yourself on those choices, fine. Then we get onto the actual uh, eating itself. I love eating meat and cheese. I love it. So the biggest difficulty for me was how can I make this not a miserable experience? You know, I don't just want every meal to be depressing and rubbish. I don't have a strong enough moral compass to do that. So the key thing for me was learning to cook new food that was delicious. 
And the single best thing I did was a recipe book called the Green Roasting Tin Cookbook, which was just loads of really simple, really easy recipes, which are simple, cheap and delicious. And boom. So that then really helped me. If I hadn't been able to eat delicious food, I would quickly have given up. And with a bit of conscious effort and thought, it's pretty, I've found it very easy to get plenty of protein and all the things that I need to be a fit, healthy, active, strong, uh, middle-aged bloke. So yeah, that that's my essence. What I would say is if you choose to eat uh, meat, and particularly if you choose to eat beef and dairy, which is so much worse for the environment, if you choose to eat them, then it's really important to eat pasture-fed beef, which is beef that's grown on um, fresh uh, pastures only and doesn't in any way use uh, soy from jungles um, and basically does minimal wrecking to the land. So I'll I'll leave it there. But I think it's uh, I, I could talk literally for hours about food in a way that two years ago, I would have not known anything. So it's become a absolutely fascinating mm. subject to me. Wow. Okay. Maybe there's a, that's a future book we'll have to look out, look out for. <laughs> and, back to the, and if anyone's still listening, we'll go back to the travel now. <laughs> no, it's, it's not like that here. We talk we, like, seriously, I mean, this is a, this is a free conversation. I mean, this is, you don't go exploring around the world or in your backyard without coming home with some new perspectives. When you have that open mindset, I mean, isn't that what it's about? It's about coming back with new perspectives and then how are you going to implement them into your daily life? You know, it's a theme of this show for years and years and years, right? The thing you said about the transition, I think that can apply to a lot of things, right? Like if you're looking, if you're somebody who's looking to experiment with a new lifestyle or a new thing and you're finding it hard, you're going to have to give something up in order to achieve that. Like you said, making it fun, in some way or, or finding the finding a way to make it so it's not a miserable experience. So it's less, I'm giving this up and I have to, and I'm losing it and more look at what I'm gaining. Yeah. I think that's absolutely vital. And for me, I've been, I, I started exploring locally thinking, Oh, this might be quite boring, but I can't really go on planes anymore, but this sounds a bit boring. My, I completely transferred into thinking, wow, this is so interesting to explore locally. I'm really enjoying that. And then similarly, say with farming, I can, you know, I can moan and moan and moan about the bad stuff of farming. But a positive way of looking at it is, wow, we have the potential in choosing what we eat for lunch today. We have the potential to free up loads of land which can then be planted with trees we can clean rivers this can be a positive thing i can learn how to cook delicious indian food so i think you're totally right for anything to change it needs to be positive hopeful and optimistic because no one needs any more negativity about the planet's doom and gloom so yeah trying to find hopeful optimistic solutions is is key yeah finding the personal joy in the new journey let's say you started the book by exploring what you deem to be the most boring grid. And <laughs> yes. that's quite a way to dive into this project because it's either going to be sink or swim. I think at that point, you're like, where am I going? This is just, there's nothing here. <laughs> and talk about, talk about that choice and that experience on that first day. Yes, I, I, one of my favorite things about traveling 
is coming up with the ideas, the plans, the sort of daydream and having the ideas and then getting the map out and looking at it for the first time and wondering what it might be like. I love that part of planning adventures. In this instance, there was so little stopping me beginning. The only issue was I had to buy a map. I could afford to buy a map. I got the map. I looked at it. And then I just had to literally walk out my front door and the journey had then begun. It was as simple as that. The biggest barrier I faced was within myself thinking, "Mm, this might be quite boring, boring for me and possibly quite boring for people who might read about it later on my website. So I'm going to test this out straight away by just looking at my boring map and going to the most boring place on my boring map. And then I'll see what I see and I'll come home and I'll write about it. And if it's really boring, then that will be the end of the project. And then I can just get on a plane and fly to Bali instead and forget all this nonsense. So that, that's that almost my- literally the opposite of every adventure you ever took in the past, the beginning of it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it was nice that there was no, it was so easy, so simple. So for example, anyone listening to this can think, oh, I'm going to test out this guy's idea. And you can go out of your front door right this minute, walk around. And if you think, oh, this is interesting, keep going. If you think, nah, this sucks, this guy's an idiot, then go do something else. It's so easy to to give it a try. And so the first place I went to is on the map just looked empty. There were no roads, no footpaths, no contour lines, no hills, no rivers, no lakes, nothing. It just looked like emptiness. And I went there with my camera to force myself to slow down. And within about two hours, I realized I'd only gone about 200 meters because I'd started taking photos of all this stuff and writing notes. And suddenly I realized that there's so much stuff literally everywhere you look. If you are interested, then everything becomes interesting. And the deeper you dig, the more that you can find. And the closer you pay attention to your local map, the bigger it gets. So it was a really fascinating, eye-opening experience that I had right at the beginning. That's so cool. I love the serendipity of travel where you have these chance encounters, usually with other humans in in a way. Something happens. And I I noticed uh, there was a a moment in your book. Now, I don't know if you saw it the same way, but I saw it as a serendipitous moment because you met these children that had, we would call it a slingshot. I think you call it a catapult in the UK. And they were carrying it around. They had made this slingshot out of wood and and you had like in your pocket, these, these pellets that you could use because I guess you have a slingshot in your, in your shed where you work. Yeah. And I just thought, yeah, you said it's your procrastination tool. Yeah, bring that over here. Let me see that slingshot. But I mean, by the way, that inspired me. Like, I there's no reason I shouldn't have a slingshot in my office. Yeah, you're, nice. you're definitely not too old to have a slingshot and the handful of, and you can get these from Amazon, like clay pellets, so that when you fire yeah. them off, that rather than ball bearings, they're biodegradable. So yeah, they're fun. When I get bored of writing, I just try and shoot stuff. <laughs> I love it. I saw that as a serendipitous moment. That stood out to me as one of those moments where if I was traveling, I'd be like, what are the chances that I have like a pocket full of slingshot pellets and then I meet somebody who's carrying a slingshot and we have this interaction. I don't know if you see it the same way, but that to me was a moment in the book where I thought, wow, like look at the serendipitous moments you can have right locally. If you're you're having that sort of um, out adventuring mindset, I thought, thought it was so cool. 
Did you see it the same way or was it just sort of like, oh, this just happened? <laughs> I, I didn't see that at the time, but you're completely right. You know, one of the joys of travel are exactly that, those serendipitous encounters. And because you're out traveling, you're in a different mindset to your going to the grocery kind of mindset. You're more curious. You're more interested. You're more interested to engage with people. And yeah, the, these kids were um, gypsy kids. So from the traveler community who in, in Britain, they sort of, of this history of being nomadic, I guess, but they're also very much prejudiced against in Britain. There's a lot of prejudice against traveler uh, communities. And, uh, and so it was really nice to meet these kids and to talk to them just as normal kids playing with their slingshot, firing at tin cans. And that, yeah, it was a really lovely um, encounter. And actually you know, one of my, one of my biggest regrets about the whole project um i'm not i'm quite a shy person but when when i travel the world when i go off in some far off country i be, i change i become really interested so if i'm in india or indiana or minneapolis or anywhere i just love talking to everyone about their life and i find it everyone's life so interesting when i'm in different countries when i'm at home in the uk i I get, I'm shy. I don't really talk to people. I don't talk to people at all, really. And one of my regrets from this whole project, or not maybe regret, maybe it's perhaps just a future project, was I wish I'd got deeper into the people living on my local map. But you know, where I live is quite built up. There are probably hundreds of thousands of people. But I wish I'd been more curious about the people. And I think that perhaps is a prospect for a a future thing but yeah i i'm just a bit shy about talking to people when i'm close to home in a way that i'm not when i'm far off around the world yeah i don't think that that's uncommon you know it's interesting i think that what what is that you know it's it certainly can be the adventurer's mindset but also yeah it could be like exploration of identity what it could be millions of things right or just your heightened curiosity i wonder if some element of it is just I don't know, when you live in the same culture, it's just such a part of you that is there a subconscious sort of programming? You just kind of like, well, this is how I am when I'm home. And it's just like, even if you try to break out of it, it's just your unconscious mind just kind of puts you in that modality. I don't know. Yeah, yes, definitely. And the technical name for it is place blindness that I I learned about, which is you just kind of, where you live is just not that interesting to you because it's where you live. And, you know, if you were ridiculously overstimulated by every single thing you saw and heard in your normal day then your head would explode so i guess i guess over evolution we've just learned to just accept everything around us as normal and just be alert for the things that are a little bit different and i think that's why traveling is so wonderful i love getting to a new country and how in a supermarket things smell different and they put the bread in a different place to the cheese and it's all a bit different. Or or when you cross a road and you press the little button to cross the road, the beep, beep, beep noise is different in different countries. That's so interesting. And if you if you walk around your hometown like that, then I think your head would explode. So, But what I tried to do with my map was to engage that traveler's curiosity once a week when I went out to these little places to just really be interested in everything and it, and it was very very consciously trying to get into a frame of mind that I'm in when I'm traveling to far off parts of the world we'll get back to the interview in just a moment would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee 
every day. I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago, and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks So they also make an exceptional gift, thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people, on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. Did you have any other serendipitous moments or that you felt they were serendipitous at that moment? Oh, gosh. Because an awkward silence is awkward on a podcast, I'll say, uh, no, next question, please. And then I'm sure as soon as we'll hang up, I'll think of lots of examples. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. You start off the book saying, I don't like where I live. <laughs> I'm here for my family because they like it and I like them. And that's reason enough. I'd much rather live in their world than live without them in mine, which I think is a very beautiful sentence, by the way. I stole that from a song. I resonate with that. How do you feel about where you live now? Well, I, I, I really, there's a lot of places that I would rather live, but I feel connected to where I live now. And I feel more concerned about trying to care for it. And I feel more interested in it. So I'm much more noticing now of the, say, the season's changing. It's, it's autumn now, so there's all the beautiful autumn colours. But I, I think I pay much more attention to those things now, having spent a year in great detail. So I, I feel much more connected to where I live now and I appreciate a lot of the good things on it. And I also am aware that there are so many places on my local map that are new to me even now. So if I want to be a curious explorer, then I shouldn't really moan and complain about where I am. I should just go and find somewhere five miles from my front door that I've never been to before. So it's been very helpful for uh, getting me more connected to to where I am. I'm sure there's people listening that can that are resonating with that. There's a. It's nice too when you have a practical solution to to that problem, right? As a traveler, and you're like, I'm in this place. I'm I'm not. I can't travel, and also I don't like where I live. It sucks. I I think that was one of the big mo- motivations for for you, of course, and for me to have you here to talk about this is just to encourage that exploration, you have the hashtag single map. If anybody ends up doing this, 
I'll mention that again at the end. We should talk about that. But in some ways, Alistair, this this also seems like a giant exercise in mindfulness, this whole project. Yes. Yeah. I um, I would agree with that. Um, it's definitely about me trying to notice everything around me and deal with the things that I can change accept the things that I can't change and to appreciate what I have right in front of me right now, rather than just wishing I was off on the opposite side of the world. So yeah, I think it's been a a good exercise in practical mindfulness for someone who can't really be bothered with actual mindfulness. So yeah, I think it's been really good in that sense. But in terms of actual mindfulness, though, the one thing that I did do occasionally on this was on this um, year was I always had to slow myself down. You know, my my mission each week was to go to one kilometer and see everything there and to really pay attention. But even so, my tendency was always, right, if I really rush around really quickly, then I can get home before lunch and then woohoo, I can spend a whole afternoon doing emails. I mean, that's just such a dumb way to think about my life, but that was essentially what I'd be thinking. So I tried to force myself to slow down. And occasionally I would do that by just saying, right, I'm now going to sit on this log in the forest or whatever. And I'm going to turn off my phone. I'm going to set an alarm for an hour's time. And I'm going to force myself to just sit here for an hour, which is a fascinating, surprisingly difficult and really rewarding experience to try. There's an old ancient Buddhist Sanskrit saying that, I learned from the internet, so it must be true, which is says something along the lines of if you're too busy answering all your emails to spend 20 minutes sitting in the woods, then you need to spend an hour sitting in the woods. And I think that's very true. If you're too busy to go and explore your local woods, then geez, you probably need to go explore your local woods. Yeah. The the tendency that you just mentioned, the the tendency to wanting to rush through and go home. To, to knock out a bunch of emails or whatever is, I mean, I feel like that's something a lot of us are fighting against in the modern era, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a really useful difference to note between doing work that is important versus doing work that is urgent. Yeah, I've got 200 emails that need answering, but if I answer them, then I'll just get 300 in return. So, and how much does any of this really matter compared to trying to find work that is meaningful and actually important so yeah there's there's a definite a creative wrestling within the work that I suppose you and I do it'd be different for other people with other jobs but for me it's I very much have to try and carve out time to just sit down and write my book I know I could put it off till tomorrow and write my book tomorrow and just answer urgent emails today but then tomorrow I'll have the same dilemma so trying to prioritize the important work over the urgent work to put the you know if you've got a jar a jar of your day you can put the large rocks of the important stuff into your jar first and then fill up with the sand of all the emails and the urgent noise but if you do it the other way around you put the sand in first and there's no space for your rocks there's no space for the important stuff i was going to bring up the sitting on the wet log for the hour because i I read that did you do that more than once in the yeah, the I did. Or? Yeah, I did it uh, once a month. I would do it. So uh, okay. I, tr- yeah. I, I try in terms of my 
adventuring life to schedule stuff into my life because otherwise I just sit answer emails all day and then hate myself so uh, for three years I've um, climbed a tree once a month which has been a brilliant way of just noticing nature Um, I did a year of full moon walks uh, going out every full moon to just pay attention to the full moon and yeah once once a month just go and sit on a log and uh, sit there for an hour has been really interesting it's a I find it an agonizingly difficult experience. Uh, but then when the alarm goes off and says, beep, beep, an hour is up, every time I'm disappointed, like, oh, I can't like stay another hour now. So it's I found that a really interesting thing to try. It is. I mean, we're not meant to take in all this information that we do now. It's just not, we're not, it's come so quickly and it's not something necessarily the human mind is built for. So has all of this mindfulness through the exploration carried into your daily life, do you think? Has it impacted your your day-to-day? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm very much enjoying our veering away from travel. I thought, I think in many ways, the good old days of talking about what size rucksack do you take on your adventures is easier. Um, I've been I've been reading quite a lot of uh, stoicism uh, recently, uh, which is very much along the lines of, for me of trying to uh, be grateful for what I have rather than stressing about what I don't have, and for um, I said this before for ac- seeing accepting the things I can't change, changing the things I can change, and being cool with the difference between those two things, and so one reason very much a reason i don't really write about this but a a very significant reason for me starting this project of exploring my local map was just to try to work hard at accepting my life to realize that geez i've got a really good life and i'm really lucky and there's a lot of good stuff in my life and i should just really accept that rather than beating myself up about the other stuff so yeah it's been really helpful for that in your position just thinking about your I'll call it your career arc because of the adventures and and kind of where it's gone. You know, you could have gone either way in in some ways. You could have been, you could have continued going on far off adventures, but then missed a lot of family time and you're choosing to stay home. And now this taking everything in a new direction. I just, I really admire your work, man. I think, I think it's great. I think that your ability to foster curiosity anywhere. I mean, that, that is the, that to me, that and gratitude, I think, is the trick to to just like happiness in daily life. I feel. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more, and I think, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> Put yourself in the like the most suburbany strip mall place in America. Let's say you know, like just concrete jungle. There's Walmart. You got Target. You got, <laughs> you know, whatever. All of the chains somebody's living right off of that do you think that they could find the same fulfillment in this exercise you know if i right now if i could somehow get in a time machine or not a time machine a flying across the world instantaneous machine to get dumped in the middle of some little town in america i would be so excited because i love being somewhere I've never been before. I love it. And if that's a far, far off different, distant country, then that's brilliant. One of the things I really hope from my book is that other people start exploring their local map. And I want that because then they'll put pictures online and I'll be just fascinated by all these little 
things in their hometown, which for them are boring and normal, but for me, because they're far away, are exciting and exotic. So I, I think I'd be very excited by that. And so then that then leads on to the person who is living in this place, whether they can build up some curiosity within themselves to be absolutely amazed by everything that they see. And, you know, within my, I don't really live in a paradise situation here. For my map, it's just outside a massive city. It's pretty ugly. There's a lot of shopping centers and uh, Walmart type places. So, uh, yeah, I definitely think anyone can find this interesting wherever they are if they slow down and are curious and pursue their curiosity. So for me, it became about nature and the environment. Someone else might be interested in, I don't know, urban design or something. There's a podcast called um, 99% Invisible, which is fantastic about just exploring the stuff that we don't even notice which is, but once you know about it is really interesting so yeah definitely this this is all about your inner mindset and approach and nothing at all about whether you live in a beautiful mountain with a spring rushing by you outside your cabin it's so easy to write off mindset as uh, you know you're just like well how you think about it is you know let's get to the practical stuff but it's like it's everything <laughs> you know <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's absolutely it is completely everything. And uh, if you, if you choose to be uh, curious and enthused about where you live, then that's a much better approach than just grumbling and wishing that you were far away. That's certainly been my personal experience. Yeah, you mentioned uh, some advice earlier about people that um, like if you're going to use the carbon for flying, let's say, then make it a longer journey and things like that. Do you have any rules for yourself? Do you think you'll fly again? I know you stopped flying for anything is that something that you think you'll do you have any like exceptions for um so i i've i do quite a lot of talks corporate sort of talks and i've stopped flying for those which was painful to do financially but also painful personally because i loved going to all those events um i do i have my exception to that rule is if a company is going to pay me loads of money, <laughs> then I have my price. I'm not a good person. I have my price. And if I fly there, then my rule is I give 50% of the money to an environmental organization. Because I, I think it's important to notice, to, to bear in mind the difference between you could do your bit for the planet by just sitting under a rock in a cave eating celery all day. You'd have a very low environmental footprint. But admirable though that might be that is not going to fix the world's problems and in order to fix the world's problems maybe you need to get on a plane here or there to go to talk to some people and bang some heads together and make some change happen so I do have an exception in that case I don't yet have personal exception for tourism travel type reasons but I think probably in some years time I'll probably maybe fly to somewhere and then spend months and months exploring that part of the world because I really do miss that. Yeah. I was going to say that makes sense. I mean, you're not, when you're flying for these things, you're, you're giving a talk that's going to inspire people to, to action. So it's not a willy nilly, you know, trip to uh, Mallorca for, uh, for some sun for a weekend, like you said. <laughs> yeah. I think all these things come down to trying to do 
more good Tr- sorry two things one try and do more good than bad yeah but secondly importantly try and do as much good as you possibly can to really try to make a difference because it's ultimately it's going to be people like who are listening to your podcast who we are engaged enthused citizens of the planet and if we don't care and get stuff done then who the heck is going to the app you mentioned earlier seek was one of the resources that stood out are, are there some other resources you can share for people uh, of course, we have the book. I think it's a great way to start to understand the possibility. Your book, Local, a search for nearby nature and wildness. You know, to me, that opens up, wow, like this is your story and you, of your explorations, but it opens up the idea where you can just see how much is available locally. And I, I guess, yeah, that was one of the resources you mentioned that was pretty powerful. But for people that are looking to dive into this single map movement you're creating, what else should people look at? Well, I think it depends on what you are interested in yourself. I mean, the smartphone is a brilliant tool, we all know. But the, I think a really important thing when you're out exploring your map is to resist it as much as possible. So don't check your emails. Uh, I didn't listen to any music when I was doing it because I wanted to, I love listening to music, but I wanted to keep listening to stuff that was around me. So I just be care- be mindful with what apps you put on your phone in order to help you with your adventuring. And for me, it was Seek to learn about all the stuff I saw. And then a great app called Merlin, which um, tells you the names of the birds you hear singing. Because, and that has, has, I found so interesting. You hear the bird going, tweet, tweet, tweet. And it tells you the name of it. And suddenly, you know the name. So the next time you hear it, you start to learn it better. And that has really helped me to slow down and pay attention to where I live. And then the other thing, I guess, would be I took an actual camera, but a camera app on your phone to make yourself try to take interesting photos, maybe just for your personal use. But that I think I found that a really good way to slow down and make everything be as interesting as possible. Wow. Can you imagine dropping like Darwin into this time, giving him a smartphone with these apps on it? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, but that's the opportunity we have. Yeah, I mean, I, I so I, I wrote about in that first week, I was sitting on a park bench learning the name of a common reed, which I learned actual name was common reed. Uh, and then as I was learning this, I then started learning about the um, these, um, what are they called? The James Webb satellite um, camera um, from NASA, which has been taking better photos of the universe than ever before. And uh, that the, the sort of depth of knowledge which you can start to explore within your phone just blew my mind. So um, Wiki- Wikipedia was a very valuable resource for me in this project as well. It is very much a tool. I mean, there are all these incredible technologies available to us, or we could, you know, we could read the <laughs> the latest tweet or whatever you know we it's always a choice right they know, you know how to they know how to hit the dopamine spots though you know yeah, they, they certainly do <laughs> which which puts forward another way of doing this which would be really good as well which is to just print out on a piece of paper your map for that week and then to go there with your phone left at home and to go explore a grid square without even a phone in the pocket. To be honest, that would probably be a more useful and powerful exercise for pretty much all of us. So um, yeah, there's lots of ways of doing it. Yeah. I suppose you could take pictures of the the nature you encounter and then use the app to look at the picture 
of the flower or whatever the case is. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Could be one way to do it. The uh, You have been able to create this uh, pretty incredible job for yourself, I'd say. And you've built this really impressive portfolio of books over time. Can you just share some advice on for anybody listening that'd be interested in kind of carving their own path? I mean, you've, you're making a living as an author, speaker, some of the things we talked about here. You're also uh, sharing messages you're passionate about and very mission-driven stuff. I know this is a big question because people have different types of businesses and, and things like that. But, you know, just your ability to kind of adapt as you go and just continue to make, make a living doing something that's meaningful to you. How do you, what kind of advice would you give somebody listening that that's interested in, in that type of life? Um, well, I suppose in terms of in the, I guess for me in the tr- travel world, the key was first of all, to do something really interesting and do it because it felt important and meaningful to me. And, and that had to be the, initial real priority and I think sometimes people get it the wrong way around they want to uh, have the career in order to do the adventure but actually you've got to do the adventure in order for anyone to be interested in you and care about you so do something really really interesting and then tell your story in a way that is honest and open and um, and original and then really importantly is repeat, 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 repeat. This, these, it takes you 10 years to be an overnight success. So um, yeah, you do, your first podcast wasn't that relevant to the universe, but add up hundreds and hundreds and it, you end up with a cumulatively more important body of work. So yeah, persistence and repetition. And just I think it's really important to try and solve a problem for people so and a good way to do that of course is by solving a problem in your life so find a problem that needs solving and uh, go about doing that so in my case in this instance here it was I can't I've stopped myself flying for adventures and that's a problem because I want to still live adventurously what can I do I know I'll go explore my local map so that was the problem that I tackled in in this instance um and then yeah just repeat 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 right Love it. Are you hopeful for the future? I mean, after after thinking on all this, seeing how much, you know, getting really diving deep into the statistics of, as you mentioned in England, the lack of trees and all the sort of things like we can, I mean, you take in all that information, it's easy to get kind of discouraged about the direction that humanity is going. How are you feeling right now? <laughs> I'm I'm really hopeful. I mean, the, the planet is unbelievably screwed, but... 20 years ago, when I cycle around the world, I didn't even know that, let alone care about that. And yet now we all know that and we all care to some degree. We're on different levels in our journeys, but there's a huge awareness to these things now. And the solutions are very much achievable. They're not easy, but they are very simple. It's not hard to, for example, in Britain, it wouldn't be hard to clean up the rivers, free up a massive area of land which could be rewilded with trees and given back to nature and clean up all the rivers to reduce emissions enormously enormously and to bring back a huge amount of nature that is very very simple for how to do that it just requires a sufficient number of people to demand that their politicians make it happen because it will only happen by voting appropriately and shouting loudly but yeah i'm optimistic and hopeful because 
the upshot of all this is that the future can be so much more beautiful than the present is and also just in terms of us as travelers it's really cool to get on a train and go explore some place you've never been it's really cool to explore your local neighborhood so this is an exciting optimistic way of looking at travel as well so yeah all is good or all can be good are you going to get involved in politics i mean a lot of this comes down to policy (laughs) um uh maybe yeah i think you're thinking about it yeah so i ran for my i ran for council like the to run the like the town uh this year it was my first footstep in the door i lost spectacularly (laughs) um as for the green party but yeah i mean there's no point sitting in a cave eating celery. We need to get people to care and to change. And you can do that by uh, getting people uh, running a podcast, which evangelizes about how we can make the future better and more hopeful. Uh, you can run for office or maybe you could do both. So, yeah, um, I think I might be heading that way, perhaps. Yeah, that's exciting, man. I can I can see a natural fit. And my mum would be pleased because it would be at last a proper job if you can call politicians a proper job. (laughs) You haven't done enough, Alistair. You need that proper job. (laughs) I might need to get a smarter haircut. (laughs) Let's talk about this mission, specifically exploring the single map. Have you sharing the adventures with your with your kids and your family? How has that been um, received on their end? Have you noticed a change? Any changes? So what I'd love to say is that going out exploring locally and being environmentally minded will raise a generation of children who are passionate environmentalists and lovely human beings and uh, and that I'm therefore a brilliant father. Uh, In reality, my kids just think I'm a weirdo that I get really excited about walking around the industrial warehouses out on the outskirts of town and they think they think i'm quite weird that i go out when it's raining and they'd much rather be on tiktok and Fortnite. is the unfortunate reality of my parenting triumphs at the moment (laughs) well listen man you just know that it it all goes in there somewhere you know it's all going in i hope so i hope wait and see yeah yeah exactly it's (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's all aging in an oak barrel somewhere inside. <laughs> yes. <It's> gonna... <laughs> yeah. But I do think, I do feel it's obviously it's great to get kids out into nature and enjoying the outdoors. And I do as much of that as I can, but I also feel it's really important as a parent that I'm honest in saying that I mostly massively fail against the battle of the screen. Cause I think a lot of parents are in the same situation. Yeah, it's tough, but I mean, you're doing, way more than your part. And, and man, I, I appreciate it. I love getting a chance to chat with you. I was so glad that when you had this other book, I'm like, yeah, we get to, we get to have you on the podcast again and have a conversation. And well, well, I mean, we'll link up to the website and everything in the shed, your newsletter. I'm going to put it in there as great resources. Cause I love the newsletter. Of course, the book local we mentioned, we'll link up to all of it. Is there anything, anything we missed any uh, big points you want to make or. No, I think that's probably quite enough massively self promotion ranting for for one morning for anyone (laughs) (laughs) no it's great i mean this is stuff that's it needs to be talked about and shared and i I love the lens through which you're you're encouraging people to explore locally thank you so much man you want to leave us on a yeah you're a wordsmith do you have a favorite quote or uh something you want to leave us with here oh crikey uh so above my 
uh, desk here. I've, I pin things up above my desk. Shall I just read two things from there? Uh, one I've got here, it says, the life that I could still live, I should live. And the thoughts I could still think, I should think. And then below that, from the guy who wrote The Alchemist, it says, one day or day one, you decide. That's awesome. <laughs> what a way to end it. Thank you so much for your time. And yeah, look forward to having you back next time. Thanks for having me, Jason. There you go. I want to thank Alistair Humphreys for his time. Always a pleasure to chat with him. When he dropped me an email and mentioned this book, I said, please, yes, come on the podcast. I think this is his third time on now. I just love chatting with that guy and his book, Local, A Search for Nearby Nature and Wildness. What do you think? Are you sold? Are you going to explore locally? I want to share a very short clip from this interview that will help to tie up this episode. Have a listen to this. But I think that's the good thing about going out to explore locally. If, if you try it, you don't know what things would interest you until you really pay attention. And you'll find some little niche that excites and interests you and maybe start to then tell other people about that part of it. And that to me is the exciting part of all of this, that we all have our own unique interpretation as we're traveling and locally is no exception, right? Can you be content exploring a tiny sliver of the planet near your backyard, no matter how bad the weather, how industrial it is, how unappealing it may seem? I'm just wondering if out of this you have considered what unexpected adventures and surprises might await you within just a mile or two or a kilometer or two from your home. It's out there. We can all go get a map, maybe sit on the log for an hour somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. I will say my number one takeaway here is something that we all know, but sometimes we forget to embrace, is that adventure really is a mindset, right? I mean, Alistair has done a great job of creating these frameworks like micro adventures or this idea of exploring locally on a single map. Really what it comes down to is embracing that traveler mindset, that mindset of openness and exploration, curiosity and adventure and getting out into the world. We don't have to go far. I will wrap it up with a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said, quote, adopt the pace of nature. Her secret is patience. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Peace and love to you and yours. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.